0: Boom, when
1: that bass drops, you know it's time to start the show, and wherever you are, whenever you are, however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week, DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, new sponsor, Casper made that possible, bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. and that's with two N's in one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy whose very first comedy album dropped on
2: iTunes this week, what? Mr. Christian Spicer, hello, sir. Hello. Yeah, it's out. Uh, I talked about it before recorded in late 2014 and it is out. It is called um, Christian Spicer Moment in Time. You can find it on iTunes. If you really, really, really hate iTunes, um, there's also a non-iTunes link you can find at my site, um, christianspicer.com. I just prefer iTunes because the rankings and reviews there mean a lot. Um, and I would really appreciate it if you, if you checked it out. People that have listened to it have enjoyed it. I'm very proud of it. It's, um, self-produced. I'm one of those
1: people. I'm one of those guys. I checked it. I downloaded it. I paid the 10 bucks. I downloaded it. I listened to it and uh, having a, having an effect on someone alone listening in their house is not easy. And I was laughing out loud, legit laughing out loud in my house all by myself listening to the comedy album, dude. It's, it's really funny.
2: Well, thanks, dude. Yeah, and I'm I'm really happy with it. It's one show, one take, um, and that's kind of where Moment in Time comes from. There are I flub over a few words, but it's that's fine. That's what I wanted it to be. It's an intimate experience of an hour of my standup, and then I have a 20 minute bonus story at the end that was recorded at the Nerdist Theater here in Los Angeles. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would have really appreciated, like, I know about how many people listen to this show, and uh, even how people are in the chat. And if everybody. Listen listened to this show, picked it up, consider it just a tip. I don't know, this show's free. Consider it, you're doing me a favor for providing great enjoyment that you like. If you picked it up, it would mean a lot. And if you viewed it on iTunes, it would mean a lot. There's a, a little chance that I could uh, chart on Billboard, which would be great. Um, I don't yeah, think let's make will, that happen. You know, I'm, I'm uh, realistic. But I don't know, I would really, 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 really appreciate if you checked it out and picked it up. And if you have already, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's called Moment in Time. It's on iTunes, and if you really, really, really hate iTunes... All right, you all right. You're still talking about it. It's at, we, they, they got it. They got uh-huh. it. Do you know they why got I'm it, talking Christian. about it, Jeff? Because they it's got something it. that I put a lot of love and sweat and tears into, and I'm really proud of, and I don't appreciate you discounting it.
1: They, I, well, I just said I downloaded it. I bought it. I love it. Anyway, we're not going to talk about comedy albums this entire show. We have a jam-packed show for you, and we have awesome guests. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week we're excited because DLC stands for Designers of Legendary Caverns because we've got two (laughs) of the people behind the new game on Kickstarter right now, Underworld Ascendant. They're from Other Side Entertainment, Chris Siegel and Tim Stelmach. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Hello.
3: Hey, how's it going? Hey, this is Chris, and that
1: is... This is Tim. You guys are going to have to uh, work on your banter, because uh, you can't I know. both... Uh, <laughs> 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 We don't usually have two guests on at the same time, but we're excited to have both of you guys. And I'm particularly excited about your project, Underworld Ascendant, uh, because Ultima is my favorite game series of all time. My favorite game of all time is Ultima 7. And I was a huge fan of Ultima Underworld. And Underworld Ascendant is sort of the spiritual successor of those great games, Ultima Underworld 1 and 2, which were keystones of my childhood. I loved playing them, and they were kind of the first... First-person role-playing games ever. Well, that's not really true. I guess Bard's Tale and, and those games, Might and Magic, but uh, sort of free-form first-person right role-playing games. Di- right. The
3: big difference in in Ultima Underworld compared to the the previous first-person role-playing games was doing it in real time with a physics simulation and it's more of an action orientation and everything. Whereas you know, like in Eye of the Beholder, for example, like visually very similar, but it was all still frames. So there's a huge difference right. in terms of presentation and, and action.
1: Yeah, and it, it really was the precursor to the games that everybody knows today, like Skyrim and and Bioshock, even stuff like that. Um and I think that what made it special is something that you guys are talking about grasping onto a lot in this game as well, which is that sort of there's not any one solution to something, that there's a a lot of improvisation that the systems in the game allow for. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure.
3: Uh, that that comes partly out of the way that Underworld came out of the the flight simulator world where you know our, our director Paul Nerath had previously done that sort of game. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers his game Space Rogue, which was kind of the precursor to Wing Commander at Origin. Right. And so we always came into that with sort of this simulation-based mindset. And that kind of inherently means that there's there's a continuous state space of things that can happen and edge cases where the whole play of events will come out slightly differently based on whether your shot like hits the corner or doesn't hit the corner um, and there's you know people are familiar with like like chaos theory and stuff will get all this, but it it means that the game is really highly unscripted in the way that games that are more based around animations and uh, and what we come to think of as scripting in games really are not uh, and the the outcome of that was that we went into it with uh less of a less of an approach of like thinking what the player was going to do specifically to solve a particular challenge and more just thinking about setting up a scenario giving the player a set of tools to deal with that situation and letting it go right and letting go in the sense of authorship as well right like we were not invested in telling a specific set of events in a specific way, um, but we were much more interested in what players were going to do with our systems.
1: Right, so and, they're, uh, they're really able to explore and sort of craft their own story, is what you're saying. Yeah, right? and there
3: there were definitely situations there, both during playtest and after the release of the game, where people would come up with approaches to problems that we had never anticipated. Which was the the as, for me as a designer. That's that's the greatest thing because it, it's what tells me that the system has really been a success because it allows creativity on the player's part.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're talking about after the release of Ultima Underworld 2 or yeah. the first one? Well,
3: both and of this really, is and on, the, on the, the first one, I was I was a, a playtest lead, and the second one, uh, I was actually lead designer on Ultima Underworld 2. So it was very awesome. kind of different perspectives on the process, uh, but in both cases, like very deeply engaged with the possibility space of the tools and what that meant for the player's ability to be expressive. You know, we all came out of the pen and paper role playing tradition, which is a much more sort of improvis- uh, imp- improvisatory space right. than, uh, than the CRPG traditionally was. And so it was really important to us that people be able to, to bring their creativity into the game the way that you can at a tabletop game.
1: So, how are you going to bring that into, I mean, you know, Ultima Underworld 2 came out in what, 93? So, you know, we've got two decades since that game was released. A lot of stuff has happened in the gaming space. How, how is this new version, uh, Ultima, or excuse me, Underworld Ascendant, how, how are you going to bring those things forward into a more modern setting?
3: Well, the thing that has really changed since the time that we did the original games is a lot of the stuff that for us was proprietary and fairly experimental, um, both in terms of our, our 3D rendering, our AI, um, certainly the physics, a lot of that is off-the-shelf technology right now, you know? Yeah, wow. Um, so, <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. But that means that we can start with that as our base, you know, and yeah. we can choose new areas of of systems and simulation to tie into uh, that whole approach to, to game making, uh, and hopefully f- you know find some some kind of new surprises and approaches. And specifically in our cases, we're looking very strongly at uh, extending the kind of basic approach that those games took to uh, to diplomacy, where they had a simple faction model and you know the 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 mountain men or the goblins or the, the humans might have an opinion of you, but it was fairly simple and scripted. Um, and looking at what some games, uh, largely outside of the role-playing space, uh, like in the war game space, what they've done with diplomatic models, um, where factions have some opinion modeling and some ability to do color commentary on the player's actions in-game. We're hmm. uh, really interested in exploring that. And uh, specifically doing so in the context of some ecological modeling, right, where the inhabitants of the underworld are going to be concerned with uh, the, the impact of the player's actions on their natural resources, the space around them. Each of the factions has their own priorities when it comes to the living conditions in the underworld. And the player will enter in this kind of unstable political situation where there's kind of an uneasy detente among the factions Um, And then by having those having having a system in the world that those factions then have some some uh, some opinion modeling based on all of that tied in with interconnections with the stuff that we did before, like individual AI and physics, uh, we're expecting to get some more interesting emergent behaviors in a way that was really not possible 20 years ago.
1: Man, this sounds like a project that is right up my alley. It sounds like something that I'm, I'm really excited about. You know, one of the big stories that we talked about last week and that has dominated our talk back discussion over on our subreddit, uh, is, uh, this, this big blow up that happened with Peter Molyneux and Kickstarter in general about over promising and under delivering. Is that something you guys are concerned with? Are you, how are you approaching the Kickstarter in general?
0: Um, I'm not really uh we've been doing this for a really long time, and I know Peter Molyneux has been too um but every system that that Tim just talked about we've you know has already been done in other games, you know there's nothing out there that we're doing that is super duper revolutionary it, we're just taking some of these ideas and we're bringing them into the role play space uh into the first person space.
3: Yeah, I would jump in oh. and say that's similar to the the reference I made before, where a lot of what we did originally was taken from the flight simulator space. You know, I remember you know this was long ago. Looking at games like Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri of and other like similar like format strategic role playing games, that's where a lot of our ideas about diplomacy modeling come from. Uh, we were really inspired by uh, Tiger Style's Waking Mars in terms of ecological modeling you know a lot of these things are not new ideas but it's the synthesis of them that that makes a new experience
1: mhm yeah no i i am a backer and uh, i'm excited about this this game very much um it looks like right now you guys are sitting at uh 525 plus $1000 of your $600,000 goal with 10 mm-hmm. days to go people can check this out at uh if you on kickstarter if they search for underworld ascendant um it, you know i I'm curious about the the decision to go Kickstarter. I'm curious about um you know how you've set your goal and knowing for sure that you can deliver the game you want to deliver if you hit that goal. I, I think that's something that everybody's concerned about now with all of these sort of high profile
0: failures.
3: All you Mr. Producer. <laughs> um,
0: <thanks. laughs> um why why Kickstarter? Um I think the biggest key with that is is that we don't want to lose control of our company, you know, back in, back in the old days of, of, uh, starting company games, you basically had to sell your soul to a publisher. And when you do that comes all the negative things that come with a publisher, you get some outside producer that's saying, no, I want the corn not to be yellow. I want it to be red. And, you know, um, you know, we didn't want to lose any of our creative freedom and, you know, doing something like Kickstarter, gives us the ability that we keep all the design in house. We don't have to make any compromises that, you know, we would have to do if we were dealing directly with a, a publisher. That's the biggest reason. Um, why am I confident that we can do this? Uh, the core team that we've put together with the pedigree of coming out of, um, out of looking glass, of, uh, of guys that have been doing uh, really fast design out of the MMO space. I think we've got a pr- really good core uh, of people together that I think is going to go just swimmingly. And how often do you hear a producer say that? <laughs> That's yeah, I great. I would add, That's too, to in,
3: the, in the sort of post-looking glass days, your looking glass didn't always hit our schedules. That was one thing, certainly, about about uh, our young and and uh, and, and green days. But it's been a long time since I was in, involved in a project that that had a slip like that. Um, certainly, like my experiences uh, in the last quite a few years now at Activision and at Harmonix, and if you look at Paul's track record at Floodgate, like it's really reliable track record. Uh, I I I I hope I hope I don't sound uh, <laughs> immodest by saying.
0: Uh, and when it comes to hitting dates, I came out of the very um, demanding MMO background. You know, I had a I had a release date every ninety days, um, so that's sort of the cadence I'm I'm used to. If somebody's handing me two years, I'm like, oh my god, what do I do?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I'm really excited about this. What 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 took what happened to the Ultima Underworld? uh, franchise. I mean, what, what, why has it been two decades before we, we got to this point of having something that really is the spiritual successor?
3: Uh, it has to do I, I, the, All right. So I, I, I'm not directly involved and, and I'm sort of interpreting second or third hand here, but it, it really at least started when origin was acquired by EA. Um, that was yes. something that, that, uh, had a, a huge effect on on our business at Looking Glass, and, and we started you know doing business with other partners around then, uh, mainly because like we just didn't have a place in their catalog. If you think about what what EA's business is, and certainly was in in those days, uh, there really just wasn't a lot of a lot of room in their catalog for the role playing space, and they just didn't quite know what to do with us. Hmm. Um. So um, and you know even even now, like I think. For an organization as big as EA, there's an opportunity cost to giving any attention to a small indie game, you know um, that was just difficult to overcome. So for for years, uh, as as he tells it anyway, like Paul would would go back to EA whenever he was between projects uh, and test the waters again, just to see if he could if he could get uh, get uh, mind share for uh, the idea of. Of uh, licensing the rights to Underworld. And it's just as a matter of you, you know, you, you succeed eventually just based on number of shots on goal. He finally got that <laughs> opportunity.
1: Wow. That's cool. Well, I and, wish you guys a lot of luck. Again, this is um, uh, something you can find at Kickstarter Underworld Ascendant. You have 10 days as of uh, today's recording on the 23rd of February to, to get in on this project. They're very close to their, to their goal. Um, and it's something that I've wanted to see for a long time. I want this, this to happen. So I was excited that, uh, you guys were interested in being on the show because, um, you know, this is a franchise that's very close to my heart in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm hoping that this lives up to all of the expectations that we all have.
3: Oh, thanks, thanks. a
1: lot. Yeah. Uh, so let's get, uh, to the meat of the show. I'm excited that you guys are going to hang out and talk to us, uh, with all of our segments, including the first one. Story of the week.
0: <laughs> story
1: of the week is the story of the week. Hey, story of the week the story of the week. Story of the week. Of course, the part of the show where we make a case for our favorite stories that have happened in the world of gaming this week. Uh, guys, since you are our guests, we uh, give you first pick. What do you think is the most important story that happened this week? Chris, you want to go, or should I?
0: Go ahead, you go.
3: Oh well, I, I'm in
1: trouble though because I think the most
3: important story of the week on, is is this uh, this Bloomberg business about about uh, the the idea that there's a new rock band in the works. But I'm going to totally get in touch if I talk about rock band at all with all of my <laughs> ex-harmonic <laughs> buddies. So. Uh, well, <laughs> So we could talk about I don't know the Settlers of Catan movie instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about that rock band. I'll 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 lead the charge here uh because this is something that actually I made as a wild prediction on our end of the year episode uh, at the end of last year and uh, I didn't realize it was going to happen this fast. It seems like there is some sort of confirmation. This is an unnamed source, of course, but Bloomberg business report is uh, you know, pretty pretty trustworthy source. And they're saying an unnamed source uh, familiar with the plans at Harmonix is confirming that a new version of Rock Band is in development for current gen systems. And um, that makes me excited. I'm curious for you guys. I know you, you may not be able to comment specifically, but let's just say in the abstract- what would you like to see a new version of Rock Band B? Uh plastic instruments in the same style that we are accustomed to just for a new generation of consoles or some new different take on playing music?
0: Uh can I say both? Um I'm totally <laughs> cool I'm totally cool if they bring back uh plastic instruments, you know, I I I actually miss my my little plastic guitar at this point. Um but I always wanted to see them take Rock band to another place other than I'm in a band and I'm going on tour and I start in the you know the dumps and then I end up in an arena. I always wanted to see them take it somewhere else. I don't know if it would be a, you know a story-driven adventure or whatnot. I really wanted like uh, the Beatles rock band to be basically the Yellow Submarine. Um, you know, where occasionally I have to play music, but I'm also doing other gamey things.
1: Oh, interesting. So have it be more of a game, more of a more of a an actual narrative uh, campaign than than just music playing. Sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The, you you know, the, campaign, the campaigns pretty... were always a little thin in rock band. You know, they were, yeah. they were just just sort of enough to to get the idea across. But um, one thing that I know, like people who are sort of like really focused on rock band, I don't know if they've been paying attention to some of the stuff that's been going on at. Harmonics and what will hopefully become to be known as the between rock bands era, but um, <laughs> you know, there's there's some really interesting technological and design advances that Harmonics has pursued in the last few years. Uh, you know, the main ones I can think of is, you know, I worked uh, on the uh, Disney Fantasia Music Evolved project there, and there's some some really neat stuff in there with respect to uh, music generation. Where players uh, have these these uh, these synthesis tools that they can mix into the songs that they're playing, um, I expect that if another rock band happens, that 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 some element of that is probably going to be pursued in development, whether it makes it into the final version or not, I don't know. Hmm. Um, and uh, also uh, some stuff that they've been playing around with, um, both in the the mobile space with their game Record Run, and also uh, if you know this uh, Samsung Gear VR visualizer that they've signed up to do um, they've been going into the area of of uh of artificial intelligent music analysis so instead of just looking at the right. waveforms of your song they can find the beats and some sort of higher level musical information um, right um, which you know at the very least can be used to uh to help the creator tools in like making uh, you know, tracks for new songs and stuff, and and you see that in um, in uh, Dance Central Spotlight where they're able to turn out uh, chore- choreography much more quickly, uh, so that you know a, a a song is is not old news by the time the the DLC comes out. Um, and what other applications of that there might be, uh, you know, again, I don't know, but it's it's another sort of interesting, just kind of like technological and design possibility for me.
1: That's awesome. Uh, Christian, what's your take on on a new rock band? Are you ready to buy new plastic instruments?
2: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, moving on. <clears throat> no, uh, uh, no interest whatsoever. You're 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 uh, enemy of fun.
2: No, I have an Xbox 360 and a PlayStation 3 and a garage full of plastic instruments and I don't take my Xbox is hooked up. My guitars are a garage away and I don't Play it. And I think it's it's rose colored glasses that people are like, oh yeah, a new rock band's gonna be great. If it's similar to the existing rock band, it's gonna be a bomb dot com that ends the studio probably. It's it's not what people want. We want the fun we used to have. No one's gonna be ponying up the hundred and eighty bucks to get a new plastic guitar, or if they do, it's gonna be an insta regret purchase. It's not it's not right.
1: So how how does this franchise move forward then and not be not be off course according to
2: you well how would you do it i mean it doesn't right it's uh it's it's, dead 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 and just leave it alone why not i mean it's it's i'm trying to think of movies that were great and then why make another one you know it's jaws let's let's just leave it at jaws what a great movie i understand you know there's money on the table and and they could probably turn a profit from it but i think it's it's chasing a dollar and a thing like oh yeah everybody does love this game because everybody that played it is now a little older and doesn't have the free time they used to have and maybe isn't in a dorm anymore and is nostalgic for what for me is maybe golden eye on the N64 and like, yeah, I want to get those rock band moments back. And then you'll buy it and you'll sit down with it and realize that you aren't playing it. And I, I, and I think it's, it's, um, misplaced idealism that is going to make a new generation rock band happen instead of smart, um, game designer business sense.
1: Well, I, I disagree. I think that there the thing about rock band that makes it evergreen is that there's always new music that people are excited about. And there's going to be plenty of people that either never played the classic rock band that we know or that – would play more rock band if the music they were listening to now was available. And I think it's not all just about, you know, those awesome eighties and seventies guitar, (laughs) guitar songs. There's a lot of music now that people would get on board with and get excited about playing. And I, for one miss those, those rock band parties that were sort of uh, uh, an every weekend kind of situation for a couple of years there. And while I'm not anxious to repopulate my, my room with, drum sets and guitars. And I don't think it would be in their best interest to like leap back into drums right away and keyboards right away. I think that is where the tipping point came from, from a consumer standpoint is just an, the amount of stuff. I do think the, the sort of classic guitar hero rock and roll with a guitar feeling like an awesome person is Fun and will be fun again, and can be revitalized with new music and maybe maybe some interesting
2: new takes on on how it's delivered. No, I, I'm I, wrong, Christian. I'd I'd love for you to be right, but I I mean I, I do I don't think it's an accurate. And someone in the chat, I think it was RCA Studio, says Nintendo's makes a living based solely on nostalgia these days, so others can do it too. I think that's a winky face, and you know I don't disagree with that. I think. There might be enough in nostalgia to sell this thing, but, you know, the problems that I see, the hurdles uh, that obviously they think they can overcome are music licensing, they're not part of Viacom, how expensive is that? The demand for new tracks, music tastes are much more, eh, maybe not much more, but increasingly become broadened as people, you know, have Spotify or just listen to stuff on YouTube, they're not buying albums, and so what's super important to me, you know, is not super important to you, and will this song be on there and that song be on there? And it's a very, I think, expensive and time-consuming endeavor if it's that traditional route. I know this um, <clears throat> insider information man is being awfully silent right now. I feel like this is the <laughs> point where we really press... No, just kidding. Uh. <laughs> I just figured I'd let
3: you talk. <laughs> I thought I was monopolizing before. No, I mean, I, not I, at all. I, I think a lot of people at Harmonix are aware, are aware of all these issues, though. And, and and one thing that I will add is that certainly like all the time I was there, people... People like the the topic of doing another a new rock band never went away. Like not like at Harmonix, it's really like they want to do this game because they love the game, right? Um, So obviously, I think they they uh, they want to do it in a way that that has an audience, and and they uh, they're they're kind of keenly aware of the issues. I know the last not too not too long ago, this story was starting to circulate again because they were they were. They were sending out some market research about like what would sell in terms of a new rock band. Um, So clearly, clearly they're aware on at least some level of of what the hurdles are, and uh, I don't know. We we can hope that they'll find solutions to them.
0: I I think just in an environment. Go ahead. Okay. If I've noticed anything about gamers, um, you know, as a group. It's never the money is a barrier thing. You know, if, if you have to go out and spend $180 on new instruments, uh, the hardcore gamers will do it, you know, and the parents will do it. I think one of the things with the next generation rock band is, uh, you know, I agree with Christian. I'm, I'll, I'll play it, but I'm not super stoked. But if you ask my kids who are just becoming teenagers, they would be completely into it because there's not one in the house anymore. Right. Right like there's a whole new audience that's coming up that I think is going to glom onto it just the way we did,
1: yeah, I agree, and, and i I think in the environment in an environment where the voice and American Idol are still these massive hits and and there's a whole bunch of young people that fantasize about being rock stars and being singers and all that stuff, I think this is that wish fulfillment video game, this is that, and uh, it, I think it's been gone long enough that it will be appreciate it again i think you know there's some people in the chat room that are that are comparing it to call of duty and call of duty hasn't gone away no one's you know it, it, i think that having it be gone for a couple i don't know three four years however long it's been gone that's a big it's a big deal i think that allows people to fall in love with something all over again um and i i'm rooting for it i'm rooting for it i think uh i think that if there had been no sort of power struggle between Guitar Hero and Rock Band franchises. If there had just been sort of one and they'd uh, approached it like a service rather than a series of $60 games, if it had been one base game that you buy and then you just constantly buy songs and that was their business model, I think it would have been so much more, it would be around still and it would be, people would still be playing it. It would be a thing of, in and of itself that was sort of independent from video games. It was, it would be this wonderful party system that, that people would be enjoying still. That's my theory at least. Um, all right, before we get to, uh, more stories of the week, I do have to thank our sponsor. Casper, brand new sponsor, and Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses. Mattresses, stuff you want to Have a good night's sleep on. How do you buy a mattress? How do you ensure that you have a good night's sleep? Well, normally what you do is you go to the mattress store on President's Day weekend or MLK weekend or some holiday weekend when they're having a crazy sale and there's some weirdo on the radio making some crazy noises about mattresses or they're free or whatever. Who knows? Who knows? You go to the mattress store, and then you look around, you walk around, and you lie on a mattress, and you go, oh, that one feels comfortable. And then you walk walk around, and you lay on another mattress, and you go, oh, that one feels comfortable. And you make some sort of decision based on a minute and a half of lying on a mattress in a store, fully clothed, in front of strangers. And it's weird, and it's dumb, and you spend thousands of dollars, and you get the mattress home, and you don't really have any idea if it's going to be comfortable or not. Well, Casper solves that problem. It is an online only retailer of mattresses. You buy your mattress online, they ship it to you, and then you have 100 days to try the mattress, test it out, sleep on it, figure out if you like it or not. They make uh, delivery free. They make returns simple and completely risk free. And then you get a chance to actually experience sleeping on the mattress before you decide. Not only that, the mattresses are much less expensive. They're cheaper because they eliminate the showrooms. They eliminate all the, all the hullabaloo that goes along with buying a mattress. So you can get mattresses that usually cost $1,500 to $2,000. At Casper, you're cost, they're costing 500 for a twin size, 600 for a twin XL, 750 for a full size, 850 for queen size, and 950 for king size. These are affordable, high quality mattresses that provide long lasting support, comfort, and resilience. I got news for you guys. I slept on a Casper last night. My wife and I tried out our Casper. We have 99 more days to make up our mind whether we like it or not. But I slept on it last night, slept like a baby. It's a really different, better way to buy a mattress. And we're going to hook you up with 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase just by using our URL, which is casper.com slash dlc. If you go to casper.com slash DLC and, uh, use our promo code DLC. Easy to remember. It's the name of our show. Casper.com slash DLC, promo code DLC. You get 50 bucks off your purchase of a mattress. All the mattresses are made in America. You have 100 days to try it out. You can send it back. It is, it's free delivery. Got just the right sync, just the right bounce. Check it out, Casper.com slash DLC, and that promo code DLC. Okay, Christian, what is your story of the week?
2: Man, uh, it, it needs to be after you um, felt like throwing me under the hype train um, in the chew subreddit. Chew. Which, man, did we give props to that subreddit yet? Holy moly, what a great week we had in there. Uh, I should pull it up and give proper thanks to the person who created the show thread. But that was amazing. I will pull that up when I'm not trying to talk. Um, What a great and and good, nice discussion. We have a great community. Um, It is Trek who made the show thread. And Trek, yes,
1: you're absolutely right, should be commended. Put... Tons of show notes, blinged it all out. Great discussion in there. So check it out. The the Reddit is at uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. So you can check that out all week long. Great discussion there. Great feedback everybody's given. And story of the week suggestions as well. So, yes, you're absolutely right to bring that up, Christian. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and, and you felt like pointing out in there that, who uh, man, last week I said, you know, that it was Sony failed to renew their uh, trademark for um, Last Guardian. And then, of course, as soon as that became a story, Sony was like, well, I mean, oops, it was a clerical error. Uh, still, Team Ico's still making it. It's still a game. Um, <laughs> so you said you won last week's story of the week, air quote, one, because I was uh, wrong or erroneous in that. And so this week, it's my story is the record scratch correction. Sony oops. is still working on The Last Guardian. It's not canceled. Team Ico is still working on it. It was a clerical error, they said, and they petitioned to revive the trademark application and requested an extension of time on its intent to use the application, um, So, and, and their petition to revive the trademark was accepted by the U.S. Patent Trademark Office. So full steam ahead, hey, guys, The Last Guardian is going to happen. It's not gonna, It's not going to happen, though, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, Chris and Tim. Let me ask you guys: Are you are you guys rock band? Rock band colon the Last Guardian. I figured it out. (laughs) This is is.
1: rock band. Chris (laughs) and Tim, you guys, uh, developers, you're inside. You know what? If a game has been in development this long, bad sign or the worst sign?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Very bad sign. (laughs) I mean, you. Always in motion is the future, but. It's definitely a sign of of serious trouble.
1: So, are you are you were you guys excited about Last Guardian anyway or uh, do you have any hope for this game actually being released at any point and being awesome if it is?
3: Ooh. That's uh, a
2: no. That's a no. You don't need <laughs> to <that's a no. laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> wow i'm surprised i i i thought this was a beacon of hope that they're just like yeah no, it's we oops but it's like well somebody at the, somebody at sony was not thinking of the last guardian so much that they just forgot to renew the the <laughs> patent oh boy uh not good um but how i remain years? you know hopeful how many years have well, they been in development well it was announced in 2009 Right. So who knows how long it was in development before 2009, but that was when it was publicly announced. So <laughs> six plus years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no way. <laughs> wow. You heard it here first, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Abandon hope. All ye who enter here. Um, I
0: guess you're Chris right, Christian. Get,
3: Chris does get paid to be the realist on the team.
0: That's <laughs> <Yeah>, true.
2: <laughs> I mean, no, it's you know, pets. maybe they
0: could redesign the whole thing. And
2: yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, at, at some point now this is a name, a loosely created character art of that bird cat creature, right? And and I'm they had to have taken this game back to zero numerous times or 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 something far worse, back to negative 10. I don't know where you go other than back to the ground floor. But I feel like that's all this game now is, it's a companion and that bird creature thing and well, they're going to do something, but it's there's no way it's the vision of whatever the original well secret sequen, sequence shown was or or you know whatever that thing is It's it's uh it's an unfortunate mess but it's a mess and the lead designer
0: left too right
2: no i think he's still there it, um well i think he um, left but it's still consulting on it it's like i'm i'm helping my job you know hey it it's a game slash i'm bound by an nda <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah i mean you can always hope for an exception I, I don't know if it was 6 years or anything but i remember way back in the day like the original half-life had a point where it basically restarted from scratch and kind of reconceived of the whole thing. Um, So occasionally you were able to to make that kind of, of major retooling in a project, but it is the exception.
1: Well, I guess my story of the week at this point is what you guys referenced earlier. Uh, this was actually submitted on, uh, Twitter. We can submit stories using our hashtag DLCSOTW or by using the subreddit. Uh, this was submitted by at RJ Stains. And it is uh, the fact that Settlers of Catan, the board game, has been optioned for TV and film rights. Uh, It was optioned by a producer by the name of Gail Katz, who produced Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, The Agency, stuff like that. So, legit, big-time, AAA, you know, kind of Hollywood producer. A lot of times these things never happen, but, uh, kind of cool. I mean, we've seen board games turned into films with varying degrees of success, uh, from the, the top end of the success spectrum being clue, in my opinion. I was going to say and clue. <laughs> yeah. Right. That worked. That worked. So there's some possibility. And but I actually battleship? like Battleship. I like Battleship. I think Battleship's a good movie. Did you guys see it? Oh, did yeah. See I've seen it. Now.
0: Did you like it? Yeah, it's, it's no comment <laughs> it's fun popcorn you know it's it's high b yeah i mean i and it wasn't great but
1: i thought it was better than most people think it was <laughs> uh anyway uh what is your uh, what is your opinion on a potential settlers of Catan movie is it going to be two hours of will you accept my brick for your sheep um what do you think well, that's
3: that's kind of the problem isn't it right like there's 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 two things about Catan and like one of them is, is is kind of the game, and the other one is the, the, the I don't know the skin on the game. Um, you know, the game itself is is it's very social. It's all about the trading. You know, and I, there are you know there are people who don't play it that way who build it who, who do it as more of a building game. But I don't think that's that's really a attribu- That's something that you can attribute its success to, right? It's right. definitely like the social game that 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 makes it what it is. And it's not clear that that uh, <laughs> that you know the. The trade deal movie is really the way to go for almost <laughs> any movie, right? And so the right. question is, can they can they like take the sort of like pioneering skin of Catan and you know turn that into a movie? It certainly seems like the, the sort of thing that makes makes a better movie story.
1: Um, right. and
3: still have it, you know, still have it like seem like it is tied to the concept of, of Catan.
1: Um, yeah. The the crazy thing to me is how little Hollywood is willing to make a movie based on an original idea. Like this is the flimsiest thinnest thing, but it's like <laughs> people have heard of it. So let's license it because you could, you could write whatever movie this is and call it whatever you want. And it would, it would either be a good movie or a bad movie, but it, it it doesn't matter that it's called Catan or not. Right. It's like you could make a movie about settlers and about, you know, trading and about whatever this movie's going to be. It just doesn't, I don't understand the, the tiny, tiny, tiny bit of name recognition that you get. <laughs>
2: How is it worth whatever you paid? But, well, Christian, what's your take? Well, maybe they didn't pay much is, is, is one. And two, I, I think the name recognition does go a long way. I mean, it's, we're talking about it. I imagine we'll talk about it when it comes out, uh, if it comes out in some form or fashion. And I think it kind of rallies people behind something. The same way uh, an adaptation of a book that isn't necessarily super close to the book does, you know, does the same thing. You can rally the fan base and get people out. And you see, I think it's interesting the same way that Marvel uh, the Cinematic Universe isn't exactly the comic book universe or even the Ultimate Universe, you know, any of their comic universes. Even though after this new Secret Wars, maybe it will be. But, you know, I, I enjoy seeing how different mediums interpret um, names, brands, and whatever. And sometimes you get really, really awesome things. Sometimes you don't. But other times there are, you know, I, I think the TV show Justified is incredible. And that's because someone made a serial TV show out of a short story. And, you know, a fire in the hole. Right. How are you going to get something great out of that? Whatever it was, 118 pages or whatever, whatever, whatever. And here it's Well, at least awesome it was the story. <laughs> true, I mean, true. You know? But, I mean, there's there's story in some, to some extent, and not trying to say this snarkily. Snarkily? Uh, I mean, to some extent, imagine a good Star Wars episode one. Uh, in, in the sense that... Uh, I imagine that every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the sense, though, that, that movie was essentially about trade negotiations, Right. And I think you can have oh, yeah. something compelling, <laughs> that compelling <part>. with that. <laughs> like, imagine, imagine if it was a newsroom-style TV show called Settlers of Contain." I don't know. I think there's something here. Yes, it's easy to roll your eyes and be like, oh, great. This is Asteroids the movie. But I don't know. Let's hold out hope. Or if not, yeah, let's no, be happy I'm- that a board game designer got his payday
1: well and klaus it, tuber has been getting paid for a while now Go ahead, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: And, and it definitely is an indication uh as if we needed another one of just how mainstream Catan you know has become and is still becoming
1: yeah and that's and that i think is is the salient point right that, that's the encouraging part that i'm excited about so yeah hooray for board games i guess is the takeaway um one more story I wanted to bring up before we move on, and that is that this announcement, I think it was today that it happened, uh, of there being a TwitchCon. September 25th and 26th in San Francisco at Moscone Center. Everybody who loves Twitch can go to TwitchCon. Um, this is going to be evidently... They're not really sure what it's going to be. They want people to suggest things that will happen there. But the press release says that you'll be able to meet your favorite broadcasters on Twitch. You'll have the opportunity to experience live content broadcasts directly from the convention center and learn from the community's thought leaders. Uh Twitch taking over the world. No doubt about that. What do you guys think of
0: TwitchCon? Chris? Um. I find the whole Twitch thing really fascinating. My original background is in television and watching this um, little subculture around live uh, live broadcasting, like creeping into the internet is very bizarre to me. Um, I never thought everybody having a camera in their basement was ever going to be a reality. And so, yeah, TwitchCon, sure. Meet your favorite um, Twitch stars or whatnot. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, my kids are completely plugged into this whole, this whole world. It's like their MTV, you know, they know all these guys by name and all that. And yeah, we just did our first Twitch, um, last week with a bunch of technical hurdles and insanity, but it was fascinating. It's, it's, it's a real deal, you know? Yeah, I guess I'm old because, uh,
1: I, the few times that I have Twitch streamed, I felt like, oh, this is the equation for this is take video game fun, subtract fun, and you have Twitch stream. Like I, it's it's all, everything I go to video games for, I don't get to do when I'm streaming. Right. Um, but, uh, Tim, do you have a, a similar opinion?
3: Yeah. I don't know if I have much to, to add on, on, uh, on what, uh, Chris said, um, except um you know it definitely the the nature of a, a live event compared to any other format uh my my experience both doing the other side twitch the other the other week and a while oh. ago uh, Mark LeBlanc and I did uh, among some other excellent glass people did a series of of a short series of of system shock twitch streams around the game's anniversary you know the the live event really uh, does give a really direct engagement with with in our case, fans, but you know, in the fans case, you know, other like-minded people. Um, And so it's, there's definitely a value there that you can't really get anywhere else.
1: Uh, Space Bob in the chat just said, why do you watch football instead of playing it? Jeff Kanata. And I take his point. I I do enjoy watching some Twitch streams, especially of professional players and high-end players. And that I totally get. It's, all the other folks who are, uh, just watching single player games that they just want to watch someone play through or, um, you know, there's, there's a whole, I think the majority of what happens on Twitch isn't the high end players, uh, the akin to watching professional football. Um, although that I do understand. Uh, Christian, are you excited about a, a Twitch con?
2: Yeah. Why not? I think it's again more exposure for, the culture and allow some of these people that are creating great content to be recognized for it and maybe a broader sense or have their fans meet them. I think it's always a a cool opportunity when you look up to someone and you're able to meet them and they say that some of the things they're going to do is, you know, educational series on how to maybe make your thing more successful or, you know, get out of it what you want. I think stuff like that is great. I mean, to some extent, I did a stand-up show um, this last Friday. It was in, She's a good friend of mine. It's uh, hosted by Anna Akana and Brad Gage. And Anna has an awesome web presence. Uh, very popular vlogs and videos. And she's doing, oh man, I don't want to misquote it. Anyway, she was just written up in Variety for a new project she's doing. It's whatever, whatever, whatever. And this show was packed. P- packed, 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 packed. Just incredible. And it was so many people there that were excited to meet Anna and to take pictures with her afterwards. And she's, you know, air quote, internet famous. And the, the, the ability to have people come and see her perform live that otherwise wouldn't get to and to hang out with her afterwards and talk to her about her stories. And I think that something like TwitchCon is going to do the same thing. It's the same thing that PAX opens up where you get to meet the people that are making your indie games that you love so much and, and learn how to do it and stuff like that. I think it's easy to roll your eyes at and be like, oh, I don't understand Twitch, but... It's clearly popular, and people should be able to experience fandom right in that culture. Oh, and sure. I also no, I don't, think, of course, the, the reason people, some people, like watching Twitch streams of single player games, is I think to some extent it's replaced with the rental, and that you want to see a game and check it out. But renting, maybe the order is harder to do now. Sure, there's GameFly that maybe works for you where you live, or maybe the Red Box in your area has PS4 games um or Xbox One games, but it's different. It's a different landscape Then I'll go to Blockbuster or Mom and Pop and check out this game. Instead it's like, I want to see what this game's all about. I don't want to drop sixty bones on it. I'll watch a Twitch stream for an hour or two and you know that'll be my day.
1: And, well I'm not gonna but, go to
2: TwitchCon, I'm just gonna stream it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure
2: they'll have excellent streams of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will. You know, are and you watching, uh, watching the younger set, right? You know, so I got a twelve year old and a and a nine year old. They don't watch T V. You know, they watch yeah netflix and whatnot but most of the time it's either on the pad or in front of the you know the uh the computer and when they watch twitch streams it's it's like it's it's interactive for them they're always in the you know the chat rooms they're talking with the guy who's doing it it's it's interactive television on on some weird level
1: yeah and and that's cool you know i i dig it i just um you know i'm not uh, i'm not doing it but it's that's, that's fine <laughs> No problem there. All right guys, let's uh let's move on to the playlist. Ooh, if you're playing this week, tell us? Ooh, if you're playing this week, tell us on the playlist? Well, the playlist this week has a notable game on it and I uh, usually start with what the guest been playing, but I think we got to start with the order because there's been a lot of discussion about the order um I played it. Christian, you played it, right? I am, uh, through chapter 10, I believe. Oh, so you're close to the end. I think there's only 14 chapters, 15 chapters, something like that. Um, so what's your take on it, Christian? What's your take on the
2: order 1886? So you're going to let me set the table and then I'll come back to talking about why you're crazy. Um, so the, <laughs> Order, the Order 1886 is not a perfect game. It is not the best game I've ever played. It is not the best game I've played this year. It is because you have to address the couple of elephants in the room. Um, I can't put a price point on whether or not you should buy the game. To me, I have no regrets buying this game. Again, I haven't completed it, so maybe it falls off a cliff and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I am really, 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 really enjoying it. I I think people that gave it a 5 out of 10, I think to some extent it is suffering from video game reviewers. Am I allowed to say? uh, I'm going to say it. I don't think it's that bad of a word. I think we're at a point where video game reviewers are starting to shove their heads up their own asses and trying to find relevancy in like, we're more than just... Uh, you know, yeah, my website is covered in clickbait crap, but it's a boring old thing. I played a level where Zeppelin was crashing and it was boring. Cover shooter, yawnsville. I hate it. Shut up. Stop trying to sound pretentious for the sake of it. Um, to me, I enjoy this type of game. I think it's super fun. I have more fun doing this than, oh, here's another open world game. Go collect five flowers. I mean, it's the same thing. Yes, I love new experiences and people wowing me with new design elements and whatever. But man, this game is gorgeous. You walk into a level where there's a parquet wooden floor, where I probably sat there for at least five minutes walking around this environment, looking at how the real-time lighting and shadowing was happening in this floor. When you're on the Zeppelin, there's a part that's also wood, that the wood pieces aren't totally next to each other, and there's light coming through, and you can look down through the floor and see what's happening. I mean, the detail when you're walking on the Zeppelin, your foot is pressing in on the balloon, incredible. The, The problems I think this game has is one, to some extent, about the Twitch stream, the way that we do engage now. As often, we have people in our chat room chatting, and it's great. I'm in there as well. When I'm playing a game like Metal Gear and it goes into a cutscene, I'll pick up my phone and fire off a few tweets as I live-tweet the game or live-tweet the Oscars, or, you know, you pay attention but check out because we're all um, hollow and horrible on the inside, and we need validation. Um, And this game doesn't let you do that. People say it takes the action away from you, but when you go into a cutscene, I think if you stay focused on this game with your hands on the controllers, knowing that you're going to have... QTE-like events coming up, it, I think they're doing it to try to keep you engaged, and I think people are reacting negatively because that's not typically how they experience cutscenes anymore or how they want to. Um, I don't think the level design in terms of the shooting is as dynamic and engaging as, like, gears, where in this game, typically, you do walk into a room and you have one or two points of cover and then you shooting gallery people, and I think it's storytelling is self-serious and there's a lot of talking, damn it, come on, your job, and it doesn't have any levels to it or make you feel for the characters. But I really, really like this game. And now I think you do as well, but we'll get into why you're wrong, I think, a little late.
1: (laughs) I do as well. I wasn't expecting you to like it as much. I thought we would be arguing more. Um, I got into it on Twitter. I I think that, uh, here's the thing. I decided to purchase this game despite what i was hearing uh, i almost didn't buy it there was a lot of people i had read uh who were saying that it's not even the length it's it's the game is not good uh and i was like oh man well i, I don't know if i even want to do this but i made the decision because uh, we do this show i made the decision to purchase it with 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 real human dollars at full price uh not you know not try to get a review copy or anything like that but just uh you know invest 65 bones at the best buy which is what i did and bring it home and see if it was worth my dollar Holy smokes. I really enjoy this game. It is uncharted. I don't understand. I guess the, one of the gripes is that it's unoriginal. Fair it's
2: enough. Not it's not, it's not uncharted. Go ahead. Just it, is exactly uncharted. It, is, it is exactly uncharted.
1: It is, it is, it is exactly the same game. There are bits of exploration and wandering around and delivering story. There's rooms that you get into firefights. And then there's some light traversal. There's not traversal to the point that you get in Uncharted. It's not to that extent, but it's the same pattern. It's the same template. It's just done in a different, different uh, uh, setting and it's done with a different story. It doesn't have the humor or the charm of Uncharted, but it's the same genre. It's the same template. Uh, and I think I like that kind of game. I like story driven, linear, uh, big, uh, sort of big budget narrative experiences. And this delivers that in spades. As you said, it is jaw droppingly gorgeous. I mean, it, it does, it is a preview of what this generation of consoles is going to deliver. In two years, all the games that come out are going to look like this and, uh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, this is a preview of what this generation is, is, has in store for us in the same way that Uncharted was, uh, at it in its time. Um, it's, it's fun. I think the, the guns are really satisfying to shoot. I find the, the, the Tesla inspired sort of alternate history, steampunk future tech. Stuff is really cool. It's really fun. It's really interesting. And the guns have a satisfying heft and weight. Um, I really liked the shootouts. Yes, may, they may not be as dynamic as some other games that use cover, but it, I had a great time picking off enemies and using cool weapons. Uh, I love the setting. I love the setting. I'm a steampunk dude. I dig that stuff. I love alternate history. I think the acting all around is top notch. I don't understand your comment about their sort of gruffly, whatever, delivering of the lines. I thought, man, this is populated by fantastic actors. The story has really interesting twists and turns. It's based on... uh mythology that I find interesting and it explains some things without going into spoilers, That it explains some things that you get in video games, like why people just regenerate their health for no reason, right? Like it has cool, like uh lore based explanations for that. I think that's clever. I think that's cool. It's got a, it's got a neat, uh, it sits in a neat place of, of mythology, you know, with the sort of werewolves and stuff. That's cool. I would prefer hanging out in this world than hanging out in post-apocalyptic zombie land. That's just me. I prefer that, which is one of the reasons why on Twitter I said I had more fun playing this game than playing The Last of Us. Do I think the story is as good as The Last of Us? No. Last of Us has one of the greatest stories ever told in a video game, bar none. Uh, I happen to find the, the gunplay, the setting and stuff to be much more fun than The Last of Us. The point I was trying to make is that these are – this is the first Naughty Dog game not made by Naughty Dog as far as I'm aware. Like it it feels – it's of that ilk. And for me, I preferred it. I was never a huge fan of The Last of Us. I admired it. I admire the story. I thought the – I thought the world was interesting. I thought the acting was fantastic. And the story that was conveyed was emotional and beautiful and affected me. Uh, but I didn't enjoy playing it. I didn't have fun (sighs) with the clickers. I didn't, I didn't have fun. I didn't have fun with that
2: game. I had fun with the order. I don't, I don't get you. How, how do you say such smart, insightful, awesome things on the totally rad show about movies and, and TV and books. And then on slash film cast now, um, And then just have your head so far in the sand about video game storytelling and and what a video game is. Yes, it's the same template as Uncharted 1 in that, but you use the biggest, broadest paintbrush ever. It's the same template as Uncharted. You shoot stuff and then you move some places yeah no no
1: okay. no no you you you
2: you. no that's not i'm not being that broad about it. it it it's the same
1: gameplay loop it's the same you do the same mechanics it's the you're no, climbing no. on things and moving getting to a new area and then getting into an arena and shooting all the guys and then moving into a place and looking at stuff and trying to investigate uh it's it's the same game
2: No, well no it's the same template that i would put gears in it's the same kind of thing but how you do the things it's not is gears so- no go ahead sorry you climb stuff in gears and you go into an arena and shoot stuff in gears and you it, look around a template and you pick up dog tags and other knickknacks and goodies.
1: No, it, it's gears is primarily a cover based shooter with some light story elements. This is primarily a story game like Uncharted is with some arena shooter moments strewn in. I think the the QTE stuff is clumsy. I think that uh, in the order I think a lot of what people don't like is how clumsy the QTE stuff was implemented. It, it truly does come out of nowhere and gives you no warning. And sometimes you have to hit things really fast. And sometimes you have to wait until the circle gets smaller and hit hit slow. And I almost always learned by failing, which I think is a legitimate gripe against the game. I, I, I wouldn't defend those QTE moments uh, in the order. I think they're poorly implemented. But I don't hate QTE in and of itself. My, one of my favorite games ever is Heavy Rain. I, I like QTE as a mechanic. I just don't think it's well done here. And I can understand how that would turn some people off. I also feel like the order is a little bit ADD. It doesn't let you do any one thing a long time. It, it gets out and moves to a different thing and, and has you do different things fast. And I think that people feel like that is a pacing problem. But a lot of what people were complaining to me about on Twitter about quote-unquote pacing was just that your character moves slow. And I don't think that's pacing. Like you, Christian, I liked that he moved slow because I was so in awe of the environment that I was constantly in. I was so taken by looking at all the detail in everything and was so uh, happy to be in that world and marveling at the great lighting and stuff. So I didn't – I wasn't trying to run from place to place as a lot of these Twitch streamers have – i've heard have been doing uh just to try to get to the next you know action beat i really liked being in that world i liked investigating things i liked picking up photos and looking at the photo and looking at the back side of the photo i liked that stuff so
2: that's, i liked this game a lot i also i think we're both fans of this game and people in the chat are like it's not worth 60 bucks rent it get it cheaper fine that's a personal decision for you i i mean to me that's what Grand Theft Auto 5 is. It's $20 to me. Other people think it's the best game. That, you know, whatever. That's it's not. I'm not going to get into that. That's how you spend your money and what you want to do with your money and when something is worth it to you. I'm glad information is out there that this game is in 100 hours and whatever. I think, yes, you should have perfect information when you're making your buying decisions. But the problem that this game has are on a design side um, and in a script side. And then design side, if you don't enjoy just taking in the beauty of the environment, which... I could see many gamers not enjoying, it doesn't give you anything really to do from point A to point B. Um, Garnet Lee was tweeting last night as he was playing through the game as well, and one of the things he said is, what's the point of having a level that's pretty much just a straight corridor is the way you need to go? What's the point of having a level with a few dead-end little hallways for you to poke into, when, especially when there's nothing there? And, you know, I tweeted back as a joke because that's real life. Um... But I understand his point and, and, I, and I share it to some extent, right? You turn a corner and you go down this little thing and it's just, I feel like they put in a few hallways just so that it's not literally you walking down a straight hallway the whole time, but there's nothing much there. And the photos are cool and they provide extra insight or whatever. I'd like that you can pick up newspapers. I think you should be able to read more of the newspaper than just the headline, like fill out, I agree. fill out the world a little bit. But that said... I am okay moving slowly because I am appreciating the artistry that went into creating this world and these textures and these environments that are, that are beautiful. But that isn't... Yeah,
1: agreed. That. And the same, on this, along the same lines, the, the audio logs, like how weird is it that you have to sit in a menu and listen to them? Yeah. yeah there's a lot of stuff. That, uh, listen, I'm not but,
2: saying this is the perfect game at all. Well, was, but so let me just finish this thought and then I'll address your, why you're wrong about the story. The, the, observing this world and walking through this beautiful environment and observing it for its beauty is awesome and cool, but that's not the game. Your character and you projecting yourself as the character are not and would not be doing that in this sense. What you're doing is as in uh, you, as me, Christian Spicer, by my album, it's on iTunes, moment in time, um, observing this world in this artistry where you and the character in this role-playing environment would not because you live in this world and you're going through this shot up hospital because you're trying to kill a half-breed and you wouldn't be like, wow, look at the light, look at the whatever, look at the whatever. Uncharted puts you as a character that's also experiencing these beautiful environments as that character, partly because they've made him an everyman. Yes, there's a disconnect in that he's an everyman but can make these million-foot leaps and whatever, but they play up to that. They wink at it, they acknowledge it, they Indiana Jones it. And I think doing that allows you as the player to get to the top of a vista and look out at this beautiful expanse and be like, this is awesome. In the same time that Nathan Drake sees a submarine at the top of the Amazon and look at Sully and go, what the what? This is incredible. And then you, the player, are like, dude, these are some bomb graphics. This is incredible. And the order has this disconnect where it's a beautiful, beautiful painting that your character wouldn't give two bits about. The okay, story- fair enough. But
1: but the other side of that coin is the disconnect that Uncharted has, where he then slaughters four hundred dudes, whereas in the order, they don't have that disconnect because you are a soldier in a war. That makes more sense to me too. So it's a it's a trade off, right? And and neither one seamlessly fits into its genre because you
2: have to make excuses for both sides of that coin. Well, Um, I mean, I think the disconnect in the Uncharted one is that, yes, you're not a soldier, but you're a mercenary and you're being attacked by people that are trying to kill you. And I don't know how this militia has this many thousands of people working for it, but it's not, you're not murdering civilians. It is an army is attacking you. And what they try to do is play up the everyman aspect. You are this dude and it's just quickly, because I know our guests have played some great games too. Um, yeah. But quickly, the, the problem that this game has story-wise is, and what Naughty Dog has done so well is that this game, and I'm going to make a, a film analogy that might not be perfect, but I think more people will know it. This game lacks any humor. This game is the Man of Steel compared to any good Marvel movie, compared to Guardians of the Galaxy, or even compared to a good Dark movie, i.e., the Dark Knight, that has moments of levity and brightness and light, and characters that you care about and you feel something okay. about. And Ellie I cared about these guys, not in the same. Ellie is the character in The Last of Us that grounds you. It makes it human. It provides moments of light and hope, and you see this awesome relationship. There are relationships among characters in the order, but they're hollow. They're one note. They're flat, I disagree. They're destructive. I disagree. I, I I'm not saying it's a better
1: story than the last of us i, I think the that it wins on story I, I just don't like playing that game. I just don't enjoy playing that game and I enjoyed playing this one this I, the story is not as good as the last of us no one's going to argue that with you, but I, I, think, I think the story's good. I think the story's good and I think it has it's really well written it's has subtle it's it's articulate it's it's a it's a good thing. One of the things that bothers me the most about this discussion though is watching the chat room and uh people. Uh, like, for example, Maximilian saying this is proof that Jeff likes to be the opposite of the gaming general public. No, I'm just, I'm just reporting my feelings about this game. And it bothers me this idea of forced consensus that if, if the majority of people feel one way about something, everybody has to feel that way about something. And I can't, like, I can't not like the, I mean, I liked The Last of Us. I just didn't love it as much as everybody else. And I happen to like this more than everybody else seems to. And that's okay. It doesn't mean your opinion is wrong. It just means my opinion is my opinion. So anyway, but yes, we've been ignoring our guests for far too long. Guys, I'm curious as designers of games, how you feel about this whole... Bruhaha about length of experience is it something that you guys worry about are you do you feel like a game has to be a certain number of hours in length in order to be a valid purchase
3: well uh, on some level we kind of have to worry about it because people bring it up Right, <laughs> but uh you know on an, on an artistic level it, there's there's a, there's an issue of people certainly like getting getting value for their purchase which you guys talked about before in terms of like you know like what would i pay for this game um, but it, uh, what I find much more often is it tends to just devolve into this numbers game of, you know, how many hours of gameplay are in this and uh, like, you know, like that's the, the, the thing that, that, uh, that really matters, you know, like, like we would talk about any other experience that way. It's like, Oh, you know, uh, you know, this movie is great cause it's five hours long or, <laughs> Or to to take the the news story that we didn't talk about, like video games, as steak. You know, it's like, I had this steak that took me over an hour to eat.
1: (laughs) Right,
2: Uh, (laughs) right, yeah. It just seems like (laughs) like a
3: very one-dimensional way to to think about your experience. I think the number of hours... Yeah, and yet, you know...
0: Go ahead. All right, sorry. Um, I think the number of hours thing comes up when it's a game that you're never going to go back to again, right? Mm, You never hear somebody say, you know, I only got 130 hours out of XCOM. Right, because you know, most people play through that game. You know, half a dozen times. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I think there's,
3: there's, and that's the truth at the core of this. Right, is that like there's, there is, um, there's an issue that has to be grappled with, like when a game constitutes like a really disposable experience, um, where like you're expected to to just sort of consume it and then you're done, Um, and you know, for a certain kind of game, like I don't know that I would ever play like gosh, what's a, what's an example? Like, I don't feel the need to go back and play gone home again. Right. Right. Um, Cause it's, it, it's essentially, it's not going to, it's not going to deliver its m- emotional impact the same way. Right. Um, um, so, you know, like for certain kinds of games, you know, that kind of discussion can make sense, but there's seems to be that um, kind of all this, I don't know, almost a widespread, um, I'm not going to say blindness quite, but that's not what I'm looking for, but there's a, there's a lack of acknowledgement that that uh, that it, it really it really is dependent on whether that question like what what is the relevance of that question to a particular game? I think I think you need to establish that before before you even dig into the topic.
1: Right? Is this right. The kind because of you, you, you we
3: should be talking about that?
1: Yes. And you get the idea of someone feeling like, Oh, if, if it's an A to B experience and I'm only going through A to B once and it's short, maybe my dollar is better spent on a on a game that offers me some kind of replayability. I understand that. I understand the feeling of wanting to get value for your dollar. You don't have infinite dollars to spend fair enough. But I think the, the article you referenced, which is uh, an op-ed by Michael McWhorter on uh, polygon about this comparison that a lot of developers tend to use of, of games t- to stake. I think the <laughs> idea behind that is, is that if I spend a lot on a meal and that meal is small portioned, but incredibly satisfying. I feel like I've spent my money wisely. I had a unique high quality experience that was special. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's the case with the order. Do I think it's the best game of the year? No. Do I think it's, uh you know, you know, better than uh, perfect? It's not perfect. However, the $65 that I spent, I got to see some incredible sights. I got to do some really fun things and I got to experience a, a level of artistry in this game that you don't get very often. You don't get to see a world as vibrant and, and detailed as this. And, and I had a good time in it and it was told a fun story. So for me, it's an apt analogy to, to stake, um, but I I think it's a it's a strange position to put developers in to sort of be hang, hamstrung by this feeling of of needing to pad out an experience. I just I think it's unfortunate.
3: Well, that's definitely like the toxic thing about it, right? Is like if it ends up that you're like padding out, padding out the game. Like I'd yeah. rather if people are going to talk about time, you know, talk about like did the developer respect my time? Did I get value for my time as well as my money? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I played some games, like, I don't know, it didn't take me very long to play through, say, like, <sighs> Monument Valley, right? Like, but for,
1: right.
3: you know, for the amount of time that I was spending on it, like, that was a, that was a good experience, right? And I'd, I'd rather yeah. have the discussion on that level.
1: The problem is that we keep, uh, you keep bringing up games and as do we, uh, that are inexpensive, right? In comparison to $60. Uh, and, and I think that's the argument is that this is a game out at $60 and here we're bringing up Gone Home, which was eight bucks and Monument Valley, which was 15 bucks. And it's like, I don't think anybody would be upset at, at, uh, this game if it was a, a lower price point. But also, I do feel like you're getting a level of, artistry and expense like the expense in material cost is on display like the money's on the screen in this game and and i think that's where the sort of the steak analogy comes in it's like yeah you know you're getting a small piece of meat but this is the highest quality made with the highest uh, level of artistry from the chef Uh, does that work sure No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) yeah it Uh, might be the best looking steak but i guarantee you it's not the best tasting one interesting
3: i, the, I mean i think the point still stands though, that like like the, the i i'm not comfortable with the conversation of value being you know strictly about you know fun hours per dollar fun hours per, per dollar is is a is a i guess a sort of a useful rule of thumb but is anything more than that you know like what was my money well spent was my time well spent those are kind of much subtler questions.
2: Yeah. Let me let me settle the debate. Should you listener <laughs> spend $60 on a brand new copy of The Order? Yes. If you don't, you're an idiot. And is <laughs> is is The Order better than The Last of Us? No. The Last of Us is the single greatest achievement in gaming ever, and if you don't like it, you're wrong factually. And if you read until, it in the Bible. Until Underworld <laughs>
1: Ascendant comes out, right, Christian? That's what you meant to say? Mm hmm.
2: Exactly. Of course, um, yeah. And if It'll you read teach- it in the Bible in um, Jeff, Psalm Jeff Kanata 1424, it says, um, Jeff beeth wrong in opinions regarding video games. And these are just empirical facts that you can take with you and buy my album on iTunes. It's not that hard.
1: It's. It's, the thing that bothers me is how many people told me I was wrong on Twitter that I know didn't play the game. And, and that's a whole other discussion that we could get into that we don't really have time so for. So let me say it. It bothers me. It, I played but it the bothers, game
2: and you're wrong. Okay.
1: But it bothers me. It bothers me that there's this like consensus that, oh, I read four reviews that all agree. So I can, I now believe that rather than forming one's own opinion. Uh, you know, it, it just really, really bothers me.
0: Okay. Well, Go ahead. Go well, ahead. I have I have a thought on that. I think that when you see like gaming press, and uh, this is going kind to of guarantee bad press for the, my game for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to. I think they've gone the route of the same of like the sporting press, right? You know, I look at what happened to Peter Molyneux last week, and it's the same as you know the plate gate for the Patriots. It's, right. It's just you know it's just going for hits on the website. It's and, gotcha, and it's um, controversy, right? How many times do you hear that word in sports these days? Controversy, you know. Right. And we're and starting you're starting your to see game the game press do the same thing. They're looking for controversy and instead of you know. I keep waiting in the game press for our version of the Rolling Stone. Like, where's the interesting articles? And there have been brief moments, you know. But somebody just said, "Well, the Patriots did cheat." Yeah, whatever, dude. Uh, I'm (laughs) I'm getting my fourth DVD, so enjoy, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, you know, I keep waiting for, you know, somebody to start doing really interesting articles about, you know, gamer culture and game development. And instead it's, you know, just the hype train. Yeah. Choo choo.
1: Um. Christian, and I also both played Kirby this week. We'll talk about it next week. But I want to hear what you guys uh, have been playing. Uh, is, is there any interesting stuff? I know you guys are heavy in, into work on on this game that you're making. But is there any any games that you've been playing?
3: Well, uh, for me, it's, it's kind of it's it's all wrapped up together. And like I've been deeply in the, the sort of like prior art world for my work on uh, on Underworld Ascendant. Excuse me, Ascendant. Uh, with the exception of, of course, We Fit because I can't get outside my door because we're under six feet of snow in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, seriously, uh, you know, most of most of what I've been doing lately is I've been diving into the Looking Glass back catalog. I've been playing under Ultimate Underworld Thief, uh, a, a bare amount of System Shock 2, which I had forgotten just how much I enjoyed that game, and I get to say that because I I didn't actually work on it myself. Um, <laughs> but then also. Uh, I guess just recently, uh, this, um, this game, um, uh, Chivalry Medieval Warfare, which had been out for a while for for Windows, just recently came out on Xbox and I guess on, uh, on PlayStation, um, which I've only just started, um, and uh, you know I'm finding the, the kind of like the orientation experience on it kind of problematic, but it's also uh, definitely uh, interesting from the point of view of just like the focus on on uh, on melee combat, which you know is 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 a space that. That people generally uh, shy away from, and that's one actually that that uh, that Chris sent my way. So he might have something to say about it as well.
1: I love that you guys are, as you're developing a, a game, playing games similar to it, trying to, you know, find what works, find what doesn't work. Uh, that that part of the design process I find to be so exciting and so interesting. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Go ahead, Tim. Oh
3: yeah, I mean, there's 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 a a, a saying that. That uh, that I use about that, which is you know the best the best possible prototype is someone is, is the one that someone has already made. You know, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so if there's anything you know out there that, that you can that you can learn from, um, you know, it's it's so much more efficient you know upfront. Um, you you want to you want to you make your mistakes as early as possible, um, and and definitely a part of that is is learning from other people's mistakes and their successes. Um, as well as, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the sort of the art of synthesis in design, how, you know, how Ultima Underworld drew from the flight simulator world, how we're drawing from, from, from other, other genres ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, you know, that, that you know, it is, is, is just kind of underscores the importance of, 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 you know, playing other people's games and, and making that part of your process.
1: Yeah, they, what's the saying, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Um
3: it's you know, it's um and there's 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 whole bodies I know I don't you know, I d I don't know a great deal about, about you know like art history and theory and stuff, but I do know that, you know that like it's a it's a it's a much a much thought about topic of just like the part that the part that synthesis plays in creation and you know the 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 distinction between you know like the whole question of whether there are really any new ideas or whether whether it's you know you look at you look at any any piece of art, and you can trace back its influences. You know, um, to all sorts of stuff that came before.
1: Yeah, so and and, and fascinatingly so, that's awesome. Uh, Tim, did you have anything to add? Um, no, that's
3: I mean that's 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 been or was been, that I, that's been my life in video games
0: lately.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, is there is there anything on your end? Uh, well, I'm
0: always dabbling. In a lot of games, um, I'm playing Borderlands 2 with my kids, so taking a look at co-op gameplay. I think that's one of the, the shining examples and how they avoid some of the pitfalls of uh, of design um, that can get become really complicated when you're you know sharing a world with other other players. Um, I've been playing a lot of racing games. Now that I'm looking at my list, uh, I've been playing The Crew, which uh, mm. just misses there's so much good about that and it just is kind of boring. Um, which is too bad because the world itself is just amazing. Um, what else? Uh, I just finished far cry four and I have this really unhealthy addiction to Marvel heroes. I have heard that game has gotten much,
1: much better, uh, since it launched. I played it at launch and and I've heard it's improved greatly.
0: They must've got a new, um, character, uh, systems designer and he's amazing Um, Mm. and believe it or not there's ideas in that game that I totally want to steal for our game you know classes that are based just around motion and all Mm. sorts of interesting stuff that guy's been doing Um, that's awesome oh and Uh, uh, shadows of Mordor Um, and you know I think everybody has probably beaten that one to death lately but yeah the nemesis system is, is something else yeah, that's something I want everyone to steal.
1: Like, put that in every game, please. Yeah, great. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christian, you, despite shipping problems here in the United States, managed to get your hands
2: on a new 3DS. Yeah, I uh, happened to I, I walked in on one. Uh, it was in a very compromising position. I uh, saw one sitting on the shelf at Target. No, dude, you saw three, and you didn't even tell me until after you had left. Oh, well, so the the, whole story there is there was was one, and I got it. And then the guy was ringing up. He's like, dude, last one. And then the woman goes, oh, no, we have two others in the back. So I thought I was getting the last one when I got it. That's
1: when you called Jeff on his cell phone, and you say, hey, dude, you want me to pick you up one of these, and you can pay me back? And I go,
2: yeah, Christian, do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I texted you from in the store, like before I had left, showing you that I got mine. But yes, I did not uh, offer to to buy you one. I apologize. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, you should. <laughs> it uh, Everything that Nintendo does, uh, they do, like, one thing that is amazing and then, like, three things that are just, like, you know, slap your forehead, stupid. And the new 3DS is is the best version of the 3DS I think they've ever made. The C-nub is ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it works for Majora's Mask, like, that kind of thing, or Monster Hunter camera. It's like, oh, this game is now playable, but you know, it's so weird, it's so weird, the extra shoulder buttons, also weird, but the head tracking 3D is awesome, the, you know, the screens are great, it feels, in my opinion, both lighter and more solid than the old, granted, this is my first XL, um, I've held, um, XLs before, but not owned one, um, And it's just, it's a nice little, it's a nice little package. The crazy thing is though, when you're transferring over from your old system to your new system, it's, you know, both systems say, you know, make sure you keep these plugged in. (laughs) And of course you don't have a plug because they, you only have one because they assume you already had one. So it's like, Hey, Ah, that's funny. You got to keep this plugged in for the whole transfer. Also, it's going to take a while. So I was like running in the room every 30 minutes to change my adapter. (laughs) (laughs) That's a mini game. That's a mini game right there. Yeah, and it is, you have to unscrew it, the back, literally unscrew it and then pop it off. And it for me, it sounded like I was breaking it uh to get the mini micro, it's a four gig card. If you want to put a bigger card in, it's like this weird thing where it's like, hey, it's still user replaceable. You know, we're not Apple, you can get in there and replace this memory card, but good luck doing it. <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> um But when you get all of that done and you're playing it, the 3D head tracking is awesome. It, it really is awesome. Um, the screens are great. The c technically works. And the, and for me, the, the best thing is it's so zippy. And the old one didn't feel slow per se until you play this and you fire it up and the, the, the home screen loads and you get right back to your home screen and you're jumping in and out of games. And um, if you're able to find one and it's worth it to you. Again, I can't say if it's worth the money to you, but it's the best version of the 3DS they've ever made. And the Amiibo support... It's cool. I own enough of them that uh, I appreciate the Amiibo support on 3D Smash now as well. It kind of doesn't matter because nobody's going to be able to find them to buy them. So <laughs> we'll check back in in a couple of months <laughs> when the strike is over. Well, do you um, think that's true? I don't know how true that is, to be honest. I think it's Nintendo like, oh, let's blame this. <laughs> no, dude, it's it's true. There's uh,
1: The board gaming community is being crushed by it right now. It's, it's bad. It's bad.
2: Okay, interesting.
1: Um... All right, so I want to move—we uh, we introduced this segment back last week, and we got more stories of glories and tales of fails, so I want to read one real quick uh, because it made me laugh. Uh, this is from Luke Johnson, who writes, When five of my college buddies and I decided to buy World of Warcraft and start a guild themed around the movie Point Break, safe to say we were impatient. We all got to level 10 or 20 or so and decided it was time for our Horde guild to take it to the Alliance. Keeping in mind that we were on a PvP server, we somehow didn't die in any of the hundreds of level 30 plus alliance players between Orgrimmar and Stormwind and decide to make our way to the dock the dock for the Alliance. We snuck our way onto the Alliance ship that departs from the Alliance-friendly dock and eventually lands in a neutral spot on the Horde side. We hid from the NPC guards until the ship departed, and then, since we couldn't attack the Alliance players on the boat right away, we'd, quote-unquote, befriend them by dancing and doing other things. The Alliance players, while confused, would always end up dancing too and hanging out with us. Then, the loading screen would appear... And the noobs' cruise began. My guildies and I would take advantage of our PvP server and massacre our new Alliance friends on their own ship. For non-WOW players, the loading screen represented the programmed transition from the Alliance-friendly side of the game to a neutral PvP zone. That is, the transition from us not being allowed to attack Alliance players over to game on. We made three or four laps that night and massacred a dozen or so confused Alliance players who never knew they had set sail on the Noobs Cruise. Pretty funny story sent in by Luke Johnson. I'm not a fan of griefing, but that's a pretty funny one. Uh, You guys can decide whether that's a story of glory or a tale of fail, but... uh I also I also would like to point out, as an Alliance player, that's something only Horde people would do because they don't have the scruples of the Alliance side. The Alliance were ready to be friends, and you just ruined it, Hordies. So that's my take on that. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move right now to tabletop time. Right now, right now. We are fortunate to have some game designers on the show this week that actually play board games or, uh, you guys self-professed fans of D and D. So I know that, but also uh designer board games, right? Tim, you've been oh, yeah. playing, uh, some, some cool stuff. What's going on with yeah. you? Yeah.
3: Well, I, looking, looking back at the last uh, month and t- month or two, it's, it's been really a lot of co-op games. Um, Let's see, it's, uh, been, we've been playing a lot of uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, if you know great that one.
1: Great one. Yeah, um, I own it. It's great.
3: Pandemic, of course. Uh, a little bit of uh, Forbidden Desert. Um, mm. And a lot of uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Um, which awesome. Just, just yeah. recently, their, uh, their new uh, uh, Wrath of the Cosmos expansion came out. And uh, I, I picked that up uh, at, a, at a con here recently. And we've been uh, getting that back to the table a bunch.
1: So tell me why you like Sentinels of the Multiverse. I, I actually talked about it a couple of weeks ago because of the Steam app that came out. That's that's now online, so people can try uh, learning it solo. But tell me why you like it on the table.
3: the The thing that that really strikes me the most about Sentinels of the Multiverse, you know, one of the things that can really strengthen a co op game is clear differentiation of player roles. Uh, you know, it gives people a chance to feel special. It helps to defuse the failure case where one strong personality just kind of takes over the game and tells everyone else what to do. Um, yeah. And Sentinels has both of those, um, really, uh, really cleanly. You know, the, the, the key to playing, uh, if you, if, if you're not familiar with the game, it's a superhero, uh, card game. And, uh, each, each superhero has their own, their own deck that they come with. And the, the styles of gameplay that each deck suggests can be very, very different. You know, there's, there's characters who, uh, that just like game mechanically are built around getting cards in play. Other ones that are built around like, just like cycling one shots out of their hands. Um, you know, Haka from the main set has to do with like building up his hand and then throwing big discards and just, just the, the different dynamics of play, you know, which, which are really nicely married with the, the kind of like conceptions of each superhero. Um, They really make it the case that like you kind of have to know a character to play it, right? And so the result is that like you really feel invested in the character that you're playing. They have something to offer that's like really distinct from the the positions that the other players are playing. Um, And you know, for most people, it's not really practical to like try to even think about decision making for the entire group, right? You're focused on your deck and what you're going to do, and understanding all the nuances of someone else's deck you know, there's no percentage in it. Right. Right. So like, I think it delivers on its, on its theme really well. Um, as well, it's got a lot of replayability from the combinations of, of heroes and villains and environments. And there's a, a whole kind of strategic level there of like figuring out which team is, is most appropriate to take against a given threat. So it's got a lot of, a lot of depth considering like it's, it's also, uh, you know, on the other end has, has huge approachability. Like you could, like, I, I know, like, you know, like, there's seven-year-old kids who can pick up this game, and they just, you know, they play Raw, because Raw is the simplest deck to play, right? He just, like, right. shoots things with fire. Is there? A, <laughs> do you have a problem that can be solved by killing it with fire? Then Raw can solve your problem, <laughs> right? Um, and all the way to the other end, like, trying to play a really complicated character like the Argent Adept, right? Um, so it's really, it's, you know, it's got something for a wide variety of players, It. Delivers really well on its theme, and it's 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 got really smart answers to uh, you know a lot of the potential pitfalls of cooperative games in general. I think it's it's a really super game.
1: And uh, you know, I don't think I've ever brought up Flashpoint Fire Rescue on the show before, but it, it is a solid co-op game and, and built around a really f- fun theme. I mean, I guess fun might be a weird word to say, but it's a compelling theme of uh, being firemen rushing into a burning building and trying to figure out how to save everyone, including sometimes the pets. Um yep. you're digging that one too, huh?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's another one, um, you know it doesn't have the kind of intricacy of a of a you know of Sentinels of the Multiverse, but in terms of of uh, of the the role differentiation and the way it delivers on its theme, you know both of which I yeah. think are kind of like really important, and especially like in a co-op game where, um, you know, because it's it's the whole table against the game, the kind of level of 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 thematic weight. That the game brings um, is really important to get everybody invested because there's not there's not a person there offering opposition to you, so you don't have the like the social aspects of competition, right? Um, mm-hmm. Instead, it's you know the, the, like the fellowship of cooperations is, is its whole separate thing, right? But in order to like have like a strong emotional connection to the task that's in front of you, like the game is carrying all that thematic weight that might otherwise be carried by an opponent,
1: right? Right.
3: So. So fantasies like, you know, like firefighting or, or, or being a superhero, you know, um, like can be like, I think even more important in, in many ways, uh, to a cooperative game than, uh, yeah. like that, that was a game.
1: So For sure. uh, Chris, you said you've been playing, uh, or you have recently played cash and guns.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge, uh, tabletop gamer anymore. Um, but yeah, that's the last like new game I have played. You know, I'm usually just doing more casual, you know, um, cards against humanity and stuff like that. Um, did you get a
1: chance to play the the new re-release version of Cast Guns with the uh, John Kavalik art or the the old the first version? Uh, no, the new one. Cool. I haven't had a chance to try that one yet. That's the artist who did Munchkin and uh, the game Raffle. Uh, he's yeah, actually yeah. a friend of mine. Uh, but I haven't had a chance to play the new re-release. But it looks really good.
0: Yeah, it's a fun little game. Um, uh, it's definitely a game where the you know vendettas start happening around the table, which is which is <laughs> yeah. always fun.
3: Yeah, the so, game the game about the game is yeah really yeah. is really kind of important there.
1: And anytime you can actually you know point styrofoam guns at at your friends and and in a Mexican standoff, that's uh,
0: that's fun in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Other than that, um, I am reading the new fifth edition rules. You know, after working on Dungeons and Dragons for so many years, I had to at least, you know, get them and read them. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think? Uh, I think it's fantastic, to be honest. Um, uh, I think they really paid attention to what originally made Dungeons and Dragons great um, and found a pretty nice in the middle place between like first edition and 3.5. Yeah. It reminds me a lot. Oh, go
3: ahead. Finish your thought.
0: Um, and taking a sprinkle of, of fourth, you know, there were some good about fourth. I know that's sacrilege, but (laughs) no, I uh, liked fourth. I was a fan of fourth, but yeah. Um, I liked fourth too, but I think it was because I spent so much time playing it in my youth that, Mm -hmm. um, all the role playing stuff was already natural to us. So like giving us better combat rules, like just made it easy for us. Um, the yeah, so. homo- homogenization of of character classes was kind of a bummer, but we just made our own.
3: Yeah, I was I was what? gonna the thing I was gonna say is um, you know I I came into Dungeons and Dragons with the uh, the old uh, the uh, the blue book basic set the J H- J Eric Holmes edition um, wow. and really it kind of reminds me uh, in tone a lot of that where um, in the same way that third edition was really about. Unifying mechanics and, and and codifying a bunch of stuff that was like you know taking the kind of hodgepodge of, of rules that had come in first and second editions out of out of you know Gary Gygax's accumulated notebooks and right. uh, trying to distill them down to it like a consistent set of core mechanics. Um, fifth kind of goes the other way where like third is like trying to trying to foolproof the the GMing process so like you really got a rule to address everything that's likely to come up. And in fifth yeah. ed, it's much more just trying, like trying to provide uh, like a framework for the DM to to do adjudication, right? Mm-hmm. So like instead of trying to list out like here's the list of skills and what they do, right? It's like here's the kind of stuff for which you would do a dexterity check, and oh, this character gets you know a bonus in dexterity checks when they are for you know acrobatics or whatever. Right.
1: Right. And then they have Uh, that advantage and disadvantage thing. That's just this catch all for like, well, apply it how you like, you know?
3: Yeah. So it's like, I find it's like, it's, it's much, it's much more oriented on like the, on, on the judgment call on the, on the DMs part. uh, And therefore like kind of on the, on the, uh, you know, the kind of like a less structured um, um, idea for players where they're like, kind of, they're, they're more invited to, to invent, like reasons why their bonuses might apply, um, right? Which is really interesting.
0: And fun. you mean role? You mean role play?
3: Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm personally like I'm a big fan of 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 the tactical play that like that third ed gave me as well. Right where where I had like a really clear idea of what I could expect my character to be able to do and not to do. Right, and you you don't have that kind of clarity with fifth ed, um, but it's you know it's it undeni- undeniably um, delivers. Uh, a value of its own to have that kind of uh, flexibility. I think that is the focus of the, of, uh, of the current rules
0: where I was the DM that you, you win because you had really good narrative skills. If you <laughs> yeah. I like that too. Being awesome. Then that dice is magically going to roll success.
1: Well, yeah. And in, and in fifth edition, they literally say that in the rules. They they say, if you, if you want to DM that way, we, give us, we give you our blessing, you know, well, it reward creativity, reward creativity by all means. And, and I've always played that way too. It's like, if, if somebody comes with, up with a clever way to deal with a situation, you know, I'm not going to punish them with a bad dice roll. Although sometimes that could be really fun too, is, you know, that you fail spectacularly yeah. at this uh, crazy thing. But I, I'm, I'm actually prepping, um, my first real, uh, fifth edition big scenario and we're starting day after tomorrow night. So I've been reading through the, the DM handbook uh, and man, they did such a good job this time on the DM handbook. It is so detailed and has so much information to create worlds with. It's um, yes. much, much better than the fourth edition DM handbook.
3: Absolutely agree. Like this as, as and this is a progression that you've kind of like seen from, you know, second to third and, and onward. Where the, the, the DMs books like they've they've been doing a better job of of giving people guidance as to like what that skill is all about as opposed to just right. like, you know rules resources for DMs, which is more like what you'd see like back in the second edition of The
1: master's guide. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Uh Christian, should we address the fact that you actually played Monopoly this week? Or Oh, no, we can damage next me? week.
2: I just hadn't everybody we'll get into it next week. It's it's bad.
1: All right. We are running <laughs> long, and we do want to hit uh, our parting gift, but not before we thank our guests for being here. Guys, um, th- this was really, really fun and a cool insight into your thought process, designers. Tell uh, the folks where they can follow up if they want to know more about you guys and your project.
0: Chris, you want to do it? Or sure. I do it? Um, well, you can follow us on Kickstarter. Um, just go to kickstarter.com and do a search for Underworld Ascendant. Or you can look at our uh, our spiffy page at underworldascendant.com um, and find all sorts of interesting and neat uh, stuff about us. Yep. And the other game. side, of
3: course, is also on Twitter. So so follow us there, and, and you'll find out all about what is going on. That right is now with
1: the campaign, and that's at un, uh, that. Excuse me, I can't speak English yet. All of a sudden, it's at other underscore games on Twitter, right? Correct. Cool. Christian, what's going on with you other than uh, some sort of album that I really wish you had mentioned at least once on the show? (laughs) Um, My
2: debut comedy album is out. It's called Moment in Time. It's on iTunes. And really, I, I mean, you've probably heard me talk about it. If not, check it out. I think you'll like it. People seem to like it. I'm proud of it. And if you do like it, tell a friend. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you. I
1: like it. I can tell you that right now. Uh, it made me laugh. My favorite bit is the Rollerblader track. Uh Man, out loud laughing, telling my wife, oh my God, you have to hear this. Uh, and not just because we know who you are, but it's genuine, good, funny comedy all the way through. Great album.
2: Well, and quickly, um, I just need to add, it is, I mean, it's not suitable for work. There I curse a lot in it. Oh, so yeah. just please know that. I curse a lot. Don't listen to it with young kids. I, if you don't I, like cursing... Avoid
1: Anybody it. who looks at the track listings will be right. able to figure that out. <laughs>
2: yes, I get
1: into it whole stuff. Good. Um, yes, uh, We Have Concerns is my show, a uh, comedy show. We have concerns.com. Uh, you can check that out. Three episodes a week, 20 minutes a piece. Uh, lots of fun to be had there. Uh, movie reviews over at film.com at the slashfilmcast. You can check that out at slashfilmcast.com as well. I'm at Jeff Canada on the Twitters. Love hearing from you guys. But even more than that, Check out our subreddit discuss the show, hang out, make some suggestions that's at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All right guys, uh let's wrap the show up with the parting gift.
2: Hey, give us a suggestion. of to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This
1: is your parting gift. John Madigan with that awesome bumper that we debuted last week. Really excited to have him still contributing to the show in new and various ways. Uh, Let's start with Chris. Um, Fun, something to tide people over till next week.
0: Um, If you haven't seen it, her. Um, I was absolutely thrilled by this film. I think it's one of the best films about what is love um, maybe ever made. Um, Oddly, you know, you, you, fall in love with this phone um but <laughs> it i uh, me and my wife were both just shocked at how how well that they handled the whole subject it was you know because it really turns into not about the phone at all and about relationships and and what really is love and it, it was fantastic absolutely fantastic
1: what is love yeah. baby don't <laughs> hurt me uh how about you tim You got a you got a cool suggestion for the folks
3: uh, let's see. In case the folks are the kind of people who might listen to podcasts, um, I have been really digging the Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan. Uh, cool. He might, uh, sorry,
1: I was just saying cool.
3: Okay, yeah. He uh, he's a he's a historian. He previously did the the podcast, the History of Rome. Uh, this current series, he's going through like through a, a a list of of historical revolutions, started with the English Civil War. Has done the. Uh, American Revolution is right now mired in the middle of the madness that was the French Revolution. Uh, I understand the Haitian Revolution is coming up, which I have no idea what that was all about. And I'm going to find out. He's a great storytelling historian, and he does excellent work. So that's dot oh, com.
1: That is awesome. I am adding that to my list right now. I love history, and uh, man, I'm so glad you brought that up.
2: Christian, do you have a parting gift? Do or consider giving to a charity of your choice or doing charity work. Um, I know it's trite to maybe say, but every year when I start preparing my taxes, I look through all the giving I gave and the charity work I've done. UCB out here has a great program where they get out in the community and do fun stuff. And, you know, so it reminds me of it and I'm always really proud of what I've done and I always want to double down and do even more. And so if you're interested in doing something like that, do it. There's no time like now Look into it, even if it's just giving money. That really helps, you know. Look into whatever charity you want. Support other people that are doing amazing things in this world. Here, here. Um, I was going to bring this up in the
1: uh, the playlist section, but um, kind of didn't get around to it. And I know this is usually the part where we don't talk about video games, but I wanted to mention uh, Alto's Adventure. It's an iOS game that I have been really digging. I think you would like it a lot, Christian, because you love those, uh, skateboarding endless runner type dealios. Uh, this is a snowboarding endless runner type dealio. Uh, gorgeous, just dripping with atmosphere. You are, uh, A little guy at the top of this mountain named alto whose llamas get away and you have to race down the mountain trying to collect the llamas back you're doing jumps you're doing flips you're trying to stay alive and not hit rocks uh but just the the way it looks is so compelling the music it's serene it's this wonderful vibe of of the joy of snowboarding down a mountain really dig it it's called alto's adventure it's on ios i think it's two bucks uh, pretty easy to recommend alright that's going to do it for this week uh, we went a little long but I appreciate everybody hanging out with us thanks to everybody who stuck around in the chat room and contributed to the show uh, thank you to Christian Spicer and the folks at 5 by 5 thanks to Chris Siegel and Tim Stelmach for being here thanks to you for listening and until next week think about what you put out into the world make it a better place